Amen. Good song. We appreciate everybody being with us. We have guests among us. We thank you for being with us. We welcome those who are watching us on live stream. We're glad you could be a part of this as we come together to encourage and to remind ourselves of the truths of God and be encouraged. We're thankful for all of us being here. This is Sunday, the best day of the week. We believe that with all of our hearts here. And I love that second line that we were singing in that last song. They're all expecting me. Most of us know people on the other side. One of these days, they're going to say, where is old Roger? He's supposed to be up here. But the one who's expecting you the most is Jesus Christ. He died for you. He's expecting for you to spend forever with him in heaven. And it's not going to be because the stars lined up right. It's not going to be because of where you were born or this or that. It's going to be by your faith and your choice in Jesus that you do these things. They're all expecting me. What a great thought that is. Good to have you. If you've got your Bible, turn with this book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we'll be there in just a moment. We're glad that each of you could be with us. There's an old German folk tale that was borrowed and brought to America and became a famous story. It's about this simple farmer, and he goes up into the mountains, and he meets a group of dwarfs, and they give him something to drink, and he falls asleep. For 20 years, he falls asleep. You probably have heard the story of Whip Van Winkle. And as he awakens, the world has not stopped. The world didn't stop for 20 years. It kept moving. Now, when he went to sleep, King George of England was the king. His portrait was in the, the courthouse there. When he woke up, there was a portrait of George Washington up there. His children had grown up. His wife had died. Life has simply changed. Now, we haven't been asleep for 20 years, but we look around us and we realize there's been a lot of things changing. This world moves very, very fast. Jason's Cleveland Indians are now the Cleveland Guardians. Kind of a strange name, isn't it? There's other things like Marquette Warriors. They're now the Golden Eagles. If you're 40 or 50 and under, you don't have a landline. If you're a teenager, you don't know what a landline is. CDs don't exist anymore. Our world has changed, and it moves very, very rapidly. In fact, I'm going to do an illustration of this for you real fast. We're going to do a selfie right now. You think I'm kidding? Here we go. Now, hold on. We're not done. All right. I just sent that selfie to my Jordan in Texas. How fast that was. Wasn't too long ago you had to get one of these things. You had to go to the store and buy film, try to do a selfie with this thing. Man, you know if it's in focus or out of focus. And then, that was one photograph. You get a whole roll of film, so you got to take other pictures. Sometimes you just took it of the dirt because you got to get the picture done. Then you take it to some place to develop this picture. You had to wait for that and then pay for that. Then you get your photograph, and you got to stick it in an envelope and mail it to my Jordan in Texas. That takes about three weeks. He's got it right now. He's going to text me this afternoon and say, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> Have you lost it? But now all of this leads us to our series. We've been doing a series for the past several weeks about the church. Jason and I have been looking at several, several very important topics about the church. 
This is part five of the series. It ends next Sunday morning as Jason kind of wraps this series up. We've talked about what is the church. We've talked about the mission of the church. We've talked about what restoration history teaches us about the church. We've talked about how the church is supposed to help needy. What does God say about this? And through this series, what we're looking at is God's church, God's work, God's way. That's what we're interested in. Well, the next logical place to go in this series is simply this idea of change. Everything around us is changing. In fact, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul, as he talks about the resurrection, says, we all will be changed. And so the question before us is, should the church change? And that's what we're going to look at today as we look at some thoughts along this line. We, we are glad you could be with us. And we think this is a very important lesson as we think about the idea, is the church established? This is the way God wants it for all times, or is it evolving? The writer Richard Havelson said this. He says, in the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centered on the living Christ. Then the church moved to Greece, where it became a philosophy. Then it moved to Rome, where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe, where it became a culture. Finally, it moved to America, where it became an enterprise. Examples of this, is, such as this young biker here. He says, this is what the Lord made for me. And it says, this is my ministry. This is how I glorify God. And this concept is reflected over and over in the modern writing today of so many books. Rethinking church, redefinition of the church, redefining the church, redefining the church, restructuring the church, re, uh, rebooting the church, reinventing the church. What you don't find in this list is returning to a God's way or remaining the same. And so all of this culture around us, and we see how fast things are changing. Is it God's intention for us to keep changing and evolving? Now, real quickly, we can say yes, we can say no. But we need to look at this biblically and see what the Bible teaches about this subject. Some fear that if we don't keep evolving, we don't keep changing with times, the church becomes like a museum. And I love museums, but I tell you two things about museums. They're always the past, and it's always about dead people. That's what museums are. And so some people think that's the church, and that's what God wants, is that we are just the past, and we're about dead people. We're going to look at our Bibles now and consider some things with you. Let's understand God's original plan worked back in the first century. The question before us is, it worked then, is it supposed to still work today? So we notice that lives are changed. You got your Bible in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's notice verses 9 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Notice in the first century world, lives were changed. There it says, do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, nor homosexuals, thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. What's he saying? You changed. You changed your way. How did they change? They changed because of the teaching of Jesus Christ. We also notice in that first century world that the kingdom grew. 
Let's go to the book of Acts now, chapter 6. Just again, just grab a passage that emphasizes this. Acts chapter 6, look at verse 7. The word of God kept on spreading. The number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. We move over to the 12th chapter of the same book of Acts, Acts chapter 12, just another of many examples in this book. Acts 12 and verse 4, the Bible says, and the, or excuse me, verse 24, it says, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. So there's no question in the first century world this worked. The question before us is, does it still work? And the question before us is, did God intend his original plan to stay that way, or did he intend for it to change from time to time to time? In the book of 1 Corinthians, we find the Apostle Paul saying this concerning foundations. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder. That Greek expression there means architect. Chief architect, we could say. I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each person must be careful how he builds it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Those words are sober. We need to think about that. When we think about redefining, reinventing, rechanging these things, no one can do what God has done. The prophet said it this way, Behold, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed, he said. Book of Psalms says it this way, Unless the Lord builds a house, they who labor upon it labor in vain. God builds the house, as we think about that. And so when we think about this idea of changing the church, keeping up with the times, we need to take a stop and look at that. You know, the first century world is so different than ours. Most women stayed at home. Well, today a lot of women work, so we need daycare. A lot of the education was done in the home. Today, we need schools. Back then, young kids worked the farms. Today, they need something to do, so we need activities. And so, that, so when we look at that world today, compared to that first century world, they would say, well, they didn't need daycares back then. They didn't need gymnasiums. They didn't need all those things because that wasn't their culture. Our times need those things. Therefore, the church ought to keep up. And that's where a lot of folks are today. And so two thoughts sent around this idea of an evolving church. The first thought is what God originally set up just will not work for all times. It worked then, but it won't work today. Now you think if God is God, then he would have known those things, which leads to the second thought. After the first century, the church would have had no divine direction. If the church is to evolve, if the church is to change, what is it to change to? Where's our verses? Where's our guidance? Where's our instruction from heaven? We got that first century model, but we don't have a 21st century model if we move from that. We are left to ourselves to decide how we should worship. And what we put on the table with a lesson like this is how is the church to be organized? What we're putting on here, what is the mission of the church? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to worship? How are we supposed to help the needy? And how you answer this question really revolves around how you look at the Bible. 
Do I believe the Bible is once given for all times? Or do I believe the Bible changes? And that answer involves so many things. Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes, and in chapter 1, verse 9, what has been is what will be, and what was done, it is what will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. And we've got that examples in our Bible. We have Cain who offered a different kind of worship than what God wanted. We see Aaron offering a different kind of worship than what God wanted. We see Jeroboam changing the day of worship, changing the priest of worship, changing the location of worship. All through the Bible, people were changing things. But it wasn't met with the approval of God. Listen to some of these old, old sayings. This came from an Egyptian letter dated 256 B.C. Somebody wrote, I'm in difficulty both summer and winter about my salary. Something's never changed, is it? Worried about money. Here's what Cyril wrote. He was a Roman statesman, lived about 40 B.C. He says, it's the 1st of June, and nothing has been done by the Senate. Kind of common, isn't it? Kind of like our times, isn't it? That's back in the B.C. times. Socrates wrote this in the B.C. times. He complained athletes have become professionals. Yeah, nothing's changed, has it? The emperor Domitian wrote this. He says, who has not seen with his own eyes the present spirit which forces up the price of commodities to such a degree that human language cannot find words to express the transaction? We'd call going to the gas station today, wouldn't it? And so what I, what I say by that is, when we think times have changed, a lot of things have not changed. And so let's look at three reasons why the church should not evolve, why God's plan works. It worked then, it worked in the Middle Ages, and it still works today. Number one, man continues to have a problem with sin. That is our number one problem. It's not the climate, it's not the economy, it's not politics, it's our relationship and our rebellion to God. Book of Romans, if you will, chapter 3. I want you to notice two places here in Romans chapter 3. We know very well verse 23 where it says, All has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But look what he says up above in verse 10. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they've kept deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The problem is, man still continues to have a problem with sin. A man has a problem with the consequences of sin. They still ruin lives, and we see that throughout the Bible. How many times in recent times have we seen a sign in a storefront or we've seen a sign in someone's yard that says, be kind? Well, that's biblical. The book of Ephesians tells us in chapter 4 to be kind, to be tender-hearted to one another. You see, we're still dealing with the consequences of sin that ruins lives. We still have the addiction of sin that controls lives. Since COVID started, Online alcohol sales have increased 150%. Now, that may be because people don't want to go out to the store and get to drink. But it may be they're looking for some comfort. 
They're looking for some calm. They're looking for something to get them through the trying times they're in. And what they turn to is the bottle. And we see that that addiction of sin still controls lives. We see that the penalty of sin still lingers. The lack of purpose and direction, lost lives, the idea of guilt and shame, all of that is a penalty of sin still lingering over people. And then we see the reality of sin is still present. We hide behind masks. We hide behind the things we buy. But empty lives and broken marriages and dysfunctional families, rampant selfishness, all of this illustrates man still has a trouble with sin. We want to change things. Society wants to change things. But we haven't fixed things. And the thing we still have to deal with is sin. So what worked back then? What worked? What worked was being repentant and be baptized. Let's throw a couple of verses on this, if you will. You remember Acts chapter 2 when Peter was preaching. In the midst of a sermon, he was interrupted. And people said, what shall we do? And he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. At the end of your Bibles, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us. Other translations will say, washed us from our sins by his blood. What's the solution to sin? It's always been Jesus Christ. It will always be Jesus Christ. It will be nothing but Jesus Christ. I don't care if we're worshiping with space helmets on one day, if we're gravitating above the ground. None of this changes because this is man's biggest issue. And what also worked in the first century is making the Lord your life. Make him the king of your life. Book of Colossians in chapter 3 and verse 4, Paul would talk about Jesus who is our life. It's not a Sunday thing. It's not a thing I just do once in a, round, once in a while around holiday times. I need to be thankful. I need to be more generous. It's something that I am to be all the time. What worked back then? Jesus worked. What works today? Jesus. And that's what I want us to see. As modern churches are wanting to redefine, reinvent, and reboot, and re-everything else, they need to realize we need to go back to the old, old story of Jesus Christ. And then being conformed to Jesus. That's the lesson. In the book of Romans chapter 8, that's what Paul said, that we are to be conformed to the Christ, conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Peter would say in 1 Peter 1 verse 16, be holy as he is holy. And so when we look at this and we say, why should not the church change? we got all this modern thinking, and everyone's wanting to shift. Here's why. Because we still haven't dealt with the number one problem we have, and that's sin. Number two, man continues to need a community to love, serve, and help. And that community is the church. That community is what we have right now in this room. It is the church. In the book of Galatians, if you will, in chapter 3, Notice how Paul put together all of these different groups, but how they found a unity and a oneness and a purpose in Jesus Christ. Starting in Galatians 3 and verse 26, he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you are all who are baptized have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free man. There's neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ... You get that phrase? 
We belong to Christ. There was a sitcom several years ago, and I'll show you how out of touch I am. I never saw one episode. Not that it's necessarily wrong. I just never saw an episode. It wasn't my cup of tea. Called Friends. Y'all seen the show called Friends? It's about all these people the same age. They live in the apartment complex. They got together and they shared things. They laughed. They, they encouraged each other. They just had life together. Sometimes there's serious discussions going on. There's a few relationships here and there going on. But what Friends, the show was, was a pseudo church without God. Without the Bible, without accountability, without someone pointing you heavenward. And do you realize that's what the local bar represents? Most people pick out a particular sports bar or some bar, and they keep going back to the same place over and over. It's the same crowd over and over. And that becomes a pseudo church. Here, I'm accepted. Here, I can do what I want to do. Here, I can be myself. And what they're looking for is what's on this screen here. They're looking for a place, a community to love, to serve, and help. And it's not in a TV show, and it's not in a local bar. It's in a congregation of believers. That's the way God made us. Now, if you will, turn your Bible to Romans chapter 12. This makes us become one another minded. Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 10. Romans 12, beginning verse 10, says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayers, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, be of the same mind toward one another. Three times he talks about one another. There's that concept. What works is a community of believers, a community that comes to the funeral home when there's been a death. A community that will rally to support you when you're going through a trial and crisis. A community that will be there to help you. A community that reminds you, you made a promise to Jesus, you need to keep that going. A community that's going to love you. A community where you don't have to wear a mask. A community where you don't have to prove yourself. A community that we call the church. What worked back then, we had Jews and Gentiles had nothing in common. We had masters and slaves, very little in common. Male and female, and they didn't do things together. But in Christ, they had that community. They were one. What worked back then? There was a community. And man still needs that. When God made Adam, he says, not good for man to be alone. He said that after he made the animals. Adam could have said, well, I got me a dog. Good. That dog's not going to help you. And those of you who have dogs love your dogs. Your dogs are almost like your kids, but they're not your kids. And the dogs respond to the tone of our voice. You can say to your dog, you're the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life, and its tail just go like this. You can say, once you run out in traffic and get hit, and the tail just goes like that. Because he responds to your voice. He doesn't understand you. Some of us have cats. I have a cat. Every morning about 4.30, he gets on my belly. He wants up. He wants up so he can take my place the way he wants. But, you know, I can't come in after the end of a long day and say, now, now, now listen, Louise, i got to talk to you about how tough this is. He doesn't understand nothing. He's a cat. 
And so God put all these animals in front of Adam and said, here they are, but you are alone. You have no one to share your thoughts with. You have no one to encourage you. You have no one to lift you up. You have no one like you. And that takes us to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Look with me there, if you will, in verse 6 and 7. 2 Corinthians 7, verse, we go back to verse 5 to get to context. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were afflicted on every side, conflicts without and fears within. But God who comforts the press sent me a dog. No, he didn't send him a dog. God said, go to the donut shop and eat a donut. No, God didn't say that. What does the verse say? The verse says, God who comforts the press comforted us by the coming of Titus. God didn't say, here's some pills to get you through the day. God didn't say, here's a bottle to get you through the day. God didn't say, go over here to Jamaica and take a vacation because you're stressed out. God sent people. And not just people. He sent believers. And so we need to see that has not changed. You and I still need the presence of believers. There's something about when we're in this room together on a Sunday. There's an energy there's an encouragement. There's a help. God sees that. That has never, ever stopped changing. Number three, God continues to need, man continues to need connection to God's divine word. God's divine word. If you've got your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 4. And again, notice how easily these verses just come out and they remind us. They remind us of this old, old story we sing. Tell me the old, old story. Ephesians chapter 4 says, and he gave some. Who is the he? He gave God. God gave. God gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. And what do you find in verse 11 as a common link? They were all teachers of God's word. God didn't send a cook. God didn't send a fitness trainer. God didn't send a wellness person. God didn't send a psychiatrist. God didn't send a mechanic. God sent teachers of his word. And if we go back to Jason's earlier sermon, we talked about the mission of the church. Four things. To worship God, make disciples. How do you do that? By preaching God's word. Training disciples. How do you do that? By teaching God's word and taking care of the church. That's what the church is supposed to do. And what we need to see is you can walk through life laughing and having the time of your life. You can watch all the comedy shows that make you feel good. But it doesn't get to the heart of who you are, and that's your soul. Jeremiah put it this way in Jeremiah chapter 10. I know, Lord, that a person's way is not in himself, it is, nor is it in a person who walks to direct his steps. The book of Proverbs says it this way, there's a way which seems right, but the end is the way of death. We need divine help. One of the places, not the only place, but one of the places we get that is when a church follows the pattern that we find in the New Testament. What did Paul do? What did Jesus tell the apostles to do? Go into all the world and preach. Preach this message. This is what man needs for his sins. This is what man needs to build that community. This is what we need to be connected to God. 
And so the established church we read about in the New Testament is based upon, first of all, the all-sufficiency of the Scriptures. We've mentioned that earlier in this series. The idea that God has given us everything. Peter says, seeing that his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And when somebody comes along, Johnny comes late and he says, we need to redefine, reinvent, reboot the church. I'll say to what? God's given us everything. We got it all. You ain't got nothing new, buddy. We need to go back to the Bible. We remind ourselves in the book of 2 Timothy where it says, all scripture inspired by God. Profitable for teaching, for reproof, for training, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate for every good work. Early church understood the idea of the completeness of God's plan. God's plan was complete. It was thorough. It would take care of everything that comes along the line. It would be there because that's the way God designed it. And then they understood that God's way works. And one cannot improve upon what God has built. You can't improve upon the worship that God has built. You cannot improve upon the organization God has established. You cannot improve upon the nature, the mission of the church. What God established works. And the early disciples understood that. There's no change in this. There's no getting this better. What we need to do is go back to what really worked. And so that's our thoughts. The church is God's people. His feet, his hands, his voice. The church is a place that practices grace. Understands brokenness. It's a place of acceptance and love. It's a haven of hope in a world of hopelessness. It's an atmosphere of worship, not entertainment. It understands that God is upon the throne and not the stage. It's a harbor for the broken and the lost. A spiritual oasis where people can be taught and challenged by his word and encouraged and accepted and forgiven. It is where God is honored and obeyed and reverenced. Its mission is getting people ready for heaven. And God's church is not for sale. It will not bend. It will not bow. It will not compromise to anyone. There's no story of a ship that was coming into harbor one day. Dark, stormy, saw a light ahead of him. Captain of the ship says to what was a lighthouse, you better change your ways. We're going to have a collision. The guy at the lighthouse radio back, you better change your ways. Guy radio back. I'm a captain. Guy radio back. I'm not a captain. Guy radio back. I have a battleship. Guy radio back. I am a lighthouse. I cannot move. We need to see that certain things are set in stone in God's word. And we need to appreciate that. We live in a time where people are just love and change. Let's change this, let's change this, let's change this. Let's stick with what works. And that's the gospel message of Jesus Christ. If you're not a New Testament Christian, there's only one way you're going to get that way, and that's the Bible way. You need to repent of your sins, as we said, and be baptized, as God said. If you're not doing what God wants you to do, there's one way to get over that, and that's do what the Bible says. If you're caught in some habits that's not right, how do you get out of that? The Bible way. I'm doing some things that's not right. Do it the Bible way. I got some thoughts that aren't pure. Do it the Bible way. I've got, got stinky attitude. Get back to the Bible. That is always the answer. And all around us, what's your church doing for Christmas? Preaching. What's your church doing? Oh, we're putting on the play. You got Christmas trees in your church building? No, but we got Bibles. See, they're not interested in those kind of things. But you and I are. You and I are because that is God's way. 
God knew what he was doing when he established these things. He knew what would work. He knew how you and I would think. And he knew the old, old way. That's what we need to stick to. Are we a museum? No, we're not. Are we stuck on the past and we're kind of stinky and moldy and dead people? No, we're not. We're, we're joyously walking to heaven. We believe in Jesus Christ with all of our hearts. We believe that it changes our lives every single day. The choices we make are God-based. We look to a hope and a heaven that's going to be more incredible than we can even imagine. That's what's before us. And so as we think about church, God's church, God's work, God's way, that's what we're focused upon here. We can help you in any way. Why don't you come as we stand, as we sing.